I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight is my uh, partner in crime miss rachel t moore <laughs> yes evil laughter is a good thing tonight because we are uh, traveling forth into the night as you would call it, the Night Vale. Yes. Yes, Mr. Cecil Baldwin, the voice of Night Vale, will be our guest tonight on the show. And we are very excited about this. Um, if you have not listened to Welcome to Night Vale, then you insane. have. Exactly. You are insane, or you will be after you listen to it. <laughs> that has been known to happen. Yes. The, the um, best was I showed Jessica this while I was recovering from an injury and on very heavy painkiller. And it was even better <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> it actually it actually made sense somewhat. Yeah. Um, but it, Welcome to Night Vale is an amazing podcast. If, it's, if, if you love old school radio drama and if you love uh hp lovecraft specifically you will enjoy the hell out of welcome to night vale it is uh surrealistic it's very very smart and beautifully done by cecil baldwin and the crew who write and produce it um the uh the broadcast it, it actually is a fake radio broadcast that takes place um in a, a town called Nightvale, which is a town that would make probably H.P. Lovecraft cry and go fetal uh, with the things that go on there. Um, but it is a wonderful show. It's free, which is great. You can mind-boggling. With, it is mind-boggling. The, the the production values and just how great this show is. The fact that it's free, that for you to get on iTunes via their website is just ridiculous. It's so good. And it's actually one of the most popular podcasts online now. And I think it's been going on over just a little over a year. I believe the episodes are two a month. And they are now doing live shows. And you can contribute on their website um, to uh, help keep Nightville going. Donate, please do, because we're all desperate to hear what happens next. Yes, it is an ongoing, uh, there's a little bit of soap opera there, there's dark comedy, and there's morality tales within this too. It's it's kind of strangely positive. 
It is. It's a very uplifting show. And I think that people like me who don't particular, I'm not particularly impressed with Lovecraft. I don't particularly enjoy him, but um, I, I think it's smarter than him, honestly. And I think it encompasses much more than that. And so I don't want to, you know, that definitely Lovecraftian things are in there, but I, it's kind of almost diminutive to s- whenever you s- hear someone trying to describe it is like, well, it's kind of like if Stephen King and Neil Gaiman, you know, wrote, wrote some sims and just let them go for months or you know it's kind of like it's just kind of impossible to to explain to your friends so please listen give it a try and um we're excited to have cecil yes we are and uh the other part of that um we're going to also talk about this episode because of how how uh similar and 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 homage it is to old school radio drama. We're going to talk about some of the history of radio dramas and uh, the current uh, slew of them that you have access to now, thanks to the internet um, that you may not have known about um, because there are quite a few really great audio drama pieces that you um, can get online now and are um, a lot more easily accessible Uh you can buy, you can um, find old uh, copies of on like YouTube, but um, we're really excited about this and I'm a big proponent of it because I love storytelling and uh, storytelling is very, very important and original and really well done storytelling is so rare anymore and Night Vale uh, delivers it. So uh, with that, we're going to move on to our Week in Geek, and then we'll uh, do our, um, our discussion of the radio broadcasts and radio dramas that you can access now and some of the history of the, of the uh, genre. And then we'll have Mr. Cecil Baldwin. So Week in Geek for this week, um, I know Rachel has a pretty awesome announcement that um, was just uh, actually happened today, which is the 18th as we record. Uh, yeah, it turns out that now you can watch BBC America shows on Hulu Plus, which is awesome, even for the um, shows that were also on Netflix, because Hulu Plus, for those of you who have it, know that Hulu gets the most recent episodes of shows. And so this might mean really great things coming up for, um, I don't know, what's that show that I liked? Sherlock. <clears throat> Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sherlock. I know nobody knew that, but, um, and, and it's really, it's actually, you can see it now. <laughs> so there's coupling, Little Britain, The Office, especially if you don't have Netflix and you just have Hulu Plus, this is a big deal. But they're going to be getting Sherlock and Doctor Who um, in a more timely manner, which is a really freaking big deal to me. Well, and I actually went on and looked at some of the stuff. They've got some of the specials um, where they had the the focus on the doctor back when David Tennant was still the doctor, um, the companions episode, and uh, they have a ton of really cool things, including the Fades, which is a supernatural series that um, was on the BBC. So this is a really good get, even though it's duplicating some of the stuff that Netflix has. I I believe Rachel. I, I believe Rachel is right that they will be getting those episodes as soon as they air, like the next day, as they do with like Comedy Central. So this is a big deal. They actually have it as a um, channel on the website. You can actually like just pick British, and it brings up everything. I mean, Day of the Triffids is on there, so oh I, yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. And of course, if you haven't seen Moon Boy 
which is um, the Chris O'Dowd vehicle that's been up there for a while. Uh, you have some chance. You have a chance to get um, updated on that as well. Well, and I, I have to bring up. Um, kind of moving along to comic news, there's a couple of stories I have that I have to go over. Um, firstly, it came out today that Joss Whedon apparently is the hero of Marvel. And by that I mean, according to the director of uh, Thor The Dark World, he was air, he, they, they helicoptered him into, onto set to rewrite s- scenes <laughs> during filming. <laughs> No, that's no, awesome. No, no lie. He apparently came in and rewrote like one scene that they wanted, and they heli- they they helipadded him in, and they uh, had him write a scene, and then the, they were talking to him, and they went, "Hey, can you look at these two? And he ended up writing two more scenes instead of just the one that they brought him in for. So. I'm curious to see if we can pick out the scenes in Thor the Dark World that he fixed when we see it. <laughs> they'll have 100% more Loki in them. They'll probably have 100% more Loki, plus they'll probably have 100% more wit, is what I'm guessing. So, that's all I have to say about that. I find that amusing, though, that Joss Whedon... I wonder what would have happened with Iron Man 3. Oh, what could have been... <sighs> um, moving on to... DC, which has apparently trying to cut its own throat as <laughs> as as we move along. Um, so not only you know with the bat the the Ben Affleck fallout from Batman happened, and now we have the Bieber fallout. I don't know if this is. I, I'm hoping to God. No, no, that was a joke. You didn't hear was, about that. I, I I was hoping to God it was a joke. But if I was DC. I would be beating the crap out of Justin Bieber right now because the backlash from that was not for them because people believed it. They really believed it because all they saw was this picture of him holding up a script that said his name on it. That was the Superman Batman script and it wildfire everywhere. Bieber was up. See, I didn't see that one. I saw the one of Chris O'Donnell holding it up. No, that That is the one that I saw. And that's when I, People, no, because people were saying it was a, it was Bieber, and Bieber was holding a script that had Bieber written on it, and it was the Batman Superman script from the the cover page. So instantly, everyone thought it was raw. He was Robin, and the fact that they've already had enough fallout because of Ben Affleck and that going around, I would, if I was DC, I would be like beating that little punk up because they don't need the bad publicity, and yeah, not good. See, I think it was. I think it was part of a funnier die sketch. I think that was the whole thing, and that's why, like the, later the, on, Chris O'Donnell had it, and like that. I thought that was the whole deal. What the first thing everyone saw though was that picture, and I, I know, I, I know, it's ridiculous. I was listening to um, Sirius Radio, and they were talking about it on Z100. I like, is this a true thing? Oh my god! And. That's where everyone instantly, I mean, this is the land of the internet, instantly everyone's going to know about it. And they're going to come to the conclusion that they're trying to cast him. And that's what happened. Uh, Yeah. Well, on top of that, DC's got to deal with a couple other really bad press items. And I don't know if you knew about this, since I know you're a Harley girl. they're in a contest right now, and the contest is to break into comic books with Harley Quinn. But the specifics of it entail you drawing Harley Quinn committing suicide. What? 
No. Honest. Yes. Uh, open talent search for a uh, new artist for DC. And the way you get in is you have to draw, I believe it's like four or to four to six frames. And it's, it's got to entail Harley Quinn um, trying to commit suicide. No. So that is one other, one of the two. See, this is why I've fallen out of love with DC quite a bit. I still love Vertigo with all my heart, but just every time I think maybe I'll give it another try, something is happening to make me... I mean, like, this is... Comic books are supposed to be able to span the ages. Is this what you want to send to teenagers and children and uh, well especially when he was birthed from a cartoon series for kids and now you've got a contest surrounding the fact that you want her to commit suicide and you want people to draw it and make it artistic how effed up is that I mean that especially because of who Harley Quinn is within DC like I haven't been as familiar with her in the new series like I haven't really since they did the new 52 I haven't really read DC to be honest other than a a couple first episodes where I went nope nope Um, but like she she's supposed to be this light beautiful in love with life person you know well she the the character has become a lot uh, more independent in a lot of ways, but it's it's interesting what they've done with the character. I really like what they've done with the character, and she is part of the Suicide Squad, but that's not what that means. <laughs> okay, that's not what that means. So I I don't I don't agree with this at all. There's so many levels of bad with this, and on top of that, there's also the fact that. Um, they've had people quit Batwoman now because, like, key writers with Batwoman because they're denying Batwoman the ability to to um, uh, to marry her girlfriend in the comic book. Yeah, they, I know that. Ugh. And, and here you well, know they like, said that she can be married. They just won't show the wedding, which is a big deal because that's what you yeah. do. You have wedding issues. That's like. Some of us well, collect those. I, I would love to see um, their response to the fact that, you know, North Star got married. There was a big deal over in Marvel about that. They, they, and not in a bad way. They right. promoted the crap out of that. That was a big deal. So I, I just don't get it, DC. Are you really just trying to F yourselves over? Are you trying to, like, between this and the Lobo stuff that, you know, I, 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 you know, changing Lobo and making this big deal where he's not the real Lobo, I, 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 I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying that to... Was, s- that would almost be okay if the person that was the real Lobo, Lobo wasn't, like, so... Svelte? Ri- ridiculous. Goodly. It looks like you took some kind of Twilight vampire. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he actually sparkles. I think there's actually like little shiny things that are. <sighs> there's so many levels of bad. I just, I just don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It, it, they, they really, they've really just gone in a bad direction, and they're keep, keep screwing up, and they need to stop. Um, one good thing, though, that's happened, uh, kind of a casting coup here. I, I, I am excited about this. Showtime has a new series that I've talked about previously called Penny Dreadful, 
which has it's basically League of Extraordinary Gentlemen only with classic horror gothic characters like Dorian Gray, who's in both. Surprise, Victor Frankenstein, Dracula, and um, I believe they may have the Phantom of the Opera in there at some point. But um, they just cast Billy Piper. Uh, we don't know who she's playing, but she's coming on along with Josh Hartnett, Timothy Dalton, and Eva Green on this uh, show. So, and it's and, and and Sam Mendez is producing it. So, I am really, really excited about this show. I, I this is a reason for me to keep Showtime. So, uh, yeah, Penny Dreadful just got Rose Tyler. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm really stoked. I am too. So um, before we bring on our special guest, I wanted to do a little bit um, and talk about audio dramas and um, classic radio shows. Because uh, Welcome to Night Vale, though it still defies explanation, and I think if we ever truly explain it, you might lose your mind. I think that's <laughs> part of it. Um, they it comes. Uh, it's the newest in a long line of great history for this kind of thing, and um, one of the most classic examples was done by the late great Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles had this wonderful, wonderful series. Um, it's actually called the Mercury Theater on the Air, which surprisingly, I believe the first episode they did um, back in 1938 was Dracula. And Wells was Dracula in it. And he was also John Seward. But he was, in fact, Count Dracula. And, <laughs> yes. And uh, another funny um, tidbit of this is, I believe, that um, his co-star on that, who played Bina Harker, was Agnes Moorhead, who you may know better from Bewitched as Samantha's mother. Uh, but I, I love... The Mercury Theater on the Air was one of these classics. It had, like, great actors in it. And they did um, classic stories like Dracula, Treasure Island. And then um, they had actors like Joseph Cotton and Wells himself and and just beautiful stuff. And you can actually find a bunch of this on YouTube. I believe they have a lot of these, the audio on YouTube that you can listen to. And there's also copies that you can buy on CD. Um, but one, the one that everyone remembers, oh, and by the way, Rachel, um, Orson Welles played Sherlock Holmes in the Sherlock Holmes they did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Um, well, but the cla- things oh, I love. It's like, you got Orson Welles in my Sherlock Holmes. You got Sherlock Holmes in my Orson Welles. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> As we all think, yes. Um, but uh, the classic one that everyone knows about and remembers was War of the Worlds, which caused a big old stir when it came out um, because everyone thought it was real. And that was that's a true story. That really happened. They, they did the, um, the broadcast and the few people that were listening, because at the time... Um, you know, Mercury Theater wasn't the the biggest hit around, but I can almost guarantee you that after this all went down, it it got a lot more publicity out of it. Uh, they they um they did the War of the Worlds as a series of uh, news broadcasts, kind of like Night Vale, and everyone thought it was true. So there was people that were that were listening because they didn't catch the little parts in between that that said that the uh, broadcast was actually fake. And people thought there was an alien invasion going on. So, <laughs> and it's it's and if you actually listen to it, it 
at no time do they drop it like at, at, in the beginning because it is a bunch of broadcasts of uh, of Wells as this reporter describing oh, these things. Oh, go ahead. He did something dramatically that hadn't really been done on broadcasts before where he was doing the radio drama to have the most suspense. And he left dead air at places where if that were happening, there might actually be dead air. Right, exactly. was very anxiety-producing for the people around him because one of the first rules of radio, as you know, is, you know, you don't leave any dead air. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he was just brilliant. I think his, his, not just his writing, but as a performer and director, he really understood what would grab you. And you listen to those old plays. I, you know, I, I'm, I'd give up TV. I would. I, I love, I love them. Well, and another interesting part in that, um, one of the producers of that episode was John Houseman, <laughs> who, who everyone knows the Smith, the Smith Bonnie, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. So I, I find it interesting that, you know, um, Night Vale is such a big hit and it, it kind of, and it definitely follows along in that, that vein of, of realistic, um, sounding broadcast, but once you get into Nightville and you hear some of the stuff going on there, you're going to wonder, what the hell, man? <laughs> you know what? It reminds me a little bit of um, the Dick Orkin radio dramas. Did you ever hear those when you were growing up? I, when I grew up, my parents were in radio, and there were these little spots that actually started out being um, Draper or um, ads that Draper ordered, the famous ad, ad man. And there was the Chicken Man. And it had, you know, it started out the chicken man. Bark, 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 oh, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. I, I have the chicken. <laughs> so that's a Dick Orkin. And then my favorite was the Tooth Fairy, which is it's done kind of as a his, you know, tough noir, smart talking guy, but he's dressed in spangles and a tutu, and he's the Tooth Fairy. And uh, I actually, my parents used to use the promo material from that, the little uh, Tooth Fairy stationery, as my Tooth Fairy, um, as my Tooth Fairy letters. So, (laughs) because of that, I believed in the Tooth Fairy way longer than most children do. But they're brilliant, and they're all out on CD now for the first time, all remastered. And Dick Orkin's still alive and still working. And Dan O'Day, who did a lot of the voices for him. That's hilarious. I, I did not realize that Chicken Man was was that. That is awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, they used to play that actually on my uh, local uh, radio station. That's, yeah, that's great. They still have them. I mean, like, uh, if you you can find on Facebook the, the official page where they still sell them beautifully re- remastered CDs, and the price isn't that bad. And where are you going to find stuff? I mean, there's no real space on radio for that, and they're, they're short. Most of the storylines are two to five minutes, you know. And they still make them sometimes for fun. That's- that's hilarious. Well, and I wanted to um, definitely uh, give a shout out to a few things real quick before we bring on our uh, our special guest because these really remind me. Um, I, I, if you like Night Vale, you will love these as well. Um, we have uh, there's RenegadeArtsEntertainment.com has a series called Spine Killers, which is done by. Uh, Pinhead himself, Doug Bradley, and he brought on a couple. He brought on a couple of friends, um, Robert England and Jeffrey Combs. So oh, you have Robert England. Yes, Robert England. They also sponsor um, some shows on Jackalope Radio. Uh, but oh. I wanted to um, 
definitely bring these up because they do a ton of Lovecraft. They do Edgar Allan Poe, and it's and they are done very very well by these wonderfully voiced actors who just bring to life these things. And you can actually download them um, via your computer, or I believe you can you can also order them on CD. And um, the really great one that's really hard to find but you can get via Renegade Arts Entertainment is Jeffrey Combs reading the Herbert West reanimator stories. And that is awesome. Um, yes, please. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. Combs. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I had a, I had a, I had a it's girl It's a giddy moment. night here at Fangirl Radio. We're all excited. There's too many awesome voices being talked about and things <laughs> happening. Um, but but Herbert West Reanimator, they're they're not um, they're very dissimilar from the 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 film that you're going to be uh, associating with that. They're they're uh, like five or six different parts to these stories. It was a, a series that he did, and they're very very creepy. And Jeffrey Combs has one of those awesome voices that is made for reading uh, um, audio drama and they are beautifully done. And uh, the same goes for Robert England. He's got that great voice, you know, him as Freddy Krueger. And of course, Doug Bradley, who has, you know, what can I say? It's Doug Bradley, man. You can't, <laughs> you can't get much better than that. Um, but you ought, there's also, and this is something that Rachel may or may not be aware of. I'm sure she does know this, though, because, you know, she knew about Orson Welles. Uh, <laughs> Big, Big Finish Audio, which I have brought up previously on the show because of their, their connection to Doctor Who, has a ton, a t- literal ton of stuff that you can either download or buy the, D- the CDs from. And they have Classic Lit. They have um, Treasure Island read by Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. They have uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, stories, but the other stuff they have besides um, the classics and the Doctor Who, the Dark Shadows, they have a new series based around Dorian Gray. Uh, They also have Blake Seven, and um, one of these Blake Sevens stars Benedict Cumberbatch. Speaking of Benedict Cumberbatch, if you haven't listened to Cabin Pressure yet, people, I don't know what to do for you. It's out. Right now in the U.S., the first, all but the last season, all but the most recent, and I think that's coming out by Christmas um, in CD, and it's completely worth it. I got it for Christmas last year, and I can't tell you how many, how much of my commute and how much of um, road trips have been saved by those CDs, putting them on my iPod and just laughing at um, the bumbling Mar- Martin Kreef, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and, and the crew, and it's just so well-written and so funny. So, um, as we, as I said, there's a long and great history of audio drama, and in this land of of TV and film that everyone is, you know, it's all visual. There is something to be said for the imagination being um, brought to life by the human voice alone in the dark. And uh, so, I would definitely suggest uh, looking all those up. We'll have those on uh, fangirlmag.com for you, too, some links for you to find this stuff. And with that, I think it's time to travel to the desert. I think it's time to enter Nightvale. What do you think, Rachel? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and so we and so we journey into, so we journey into the desert, into the dark, where that mountain that just sprang up with the blinking red light on top of it beckons us. <laughs> you are getting carried away, my friend. Carried I am. away. I have to get in the spirit because we are joining us now having Mr. Cecil Baldwin, the voice of Night Vale. Everyone, I want to welcome the voice of Night Vale to Fangirl Radio. We're sort of crossing over here um, with Mr. Cecil Baldwin. Hello, hello, and uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> we are very happy to have you on tonight. And uh, so I know your time is precious, but um, I wanted to uh, start picking your brain with questions here because you've, you've lived through the world of Night Vale, and uh, that's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I don't live there, but my 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 imaginary uh, my imaginary other lives there. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, your imaginary other is uh, quite impressive, and we absolutely love the show. <laughs> and we we have been uh, listening. I actually I actually just listened to the new episode that just came out a couple of days ago, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I have to ask, how did you become a part of the Night Vale universe? And, and, and how did they describe this project to you when you came on? Because it's almost indescribable to try and explain it to friends that you just tell them they have to hear it. Well, you know, it was, it was really very, uh, it was very natural how it happened. Um, I work for a theater company in New York City called the New York Neo-Futurists. <laughs> and we do uh, a weekly show, which is a little bit theater, a little bit performance art, and a little bit improv. It's kind of, it's it's also similarly undescribable. Um, you just have to go and see it. Uh, but it's been running in Chicago for like 25 years, and we've been doing it in New York for about 10 years. Um, I've been doing it for roughly three, um, but... It's very involved because you're constantly creating new theater every single week. And one of the other company members, Jeffrey Craner, um, and one of our other other company members, Meg Bashwinner, um, and her boyfriend, uh, who was Joseph Fink, approached me and said, more specifically, Joseph approached me and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm a writer and I, you know, publish my own work. And I was thinking about branching out into something other than uh, books, specifically something like a podcast. Uh, Joseph is a huge fan of podcasts, both him and Jeffrey are. And they listen to, they're just two of the smartest people I know. And they listen to anything and everything they can get their hands on. And uh, Joseph said, you know, I, you know, I've, you know, I've seen your work so many times for coming to see too much light with the neo-futurists and you, you know, you have a great voice for radio and I was wondering if you would just read something for me. And that was the pilot episode. Yeah. And that was it. And that was the pilot episode. Um, and yeah. And, uh, you know, he, we didn't really know what it was, you know, um, we, you were just kind of making it up as we went and, You know, I recorded one episode and, you know, in my tiny little apartment in Harlem in New York City. And, 
you know, sent it off to Joseph and he, you know, him and Jeffrey put it up online because they're infinitely more uh, capable when it comes to technology than I am. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they just kept writing for it. And eventually we, you know, said, oh, this is, this is turning into something really cool and really fun. And let's see how far we can go with this crazy world where, you know, there's glow clouds that rain kittens down on people. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, dinosaurs that randomly appear in PTA meetings and things like that. Um, and it just, I mean, it just grew very organically. Um, I mean, the thing to remember about Night Vale is that ultimately it's two guys with typewriters and a guy with a microphone. And that's it. Um, you know, we are... We we really never made any money off of it, or we, we never we never had any production value. It's very homegrown, um, and you know, over the past year, it's turned into something that is definitely bigger than like we're moving out of the basement essentially, <laughs> um, and uh, we're only just now starting to play with the big boys um, uh, in a lot of ways. But that's very recent. It's really just since the beginning of summer that, you know, the wider audience has kind of started to listen and more and more people have started to clue into this weird little thing that we make, um, which is amazing. Um, and it's really great uh, getting to know fans that, you know, listen to the show from all over the world. Um, but ultimately it's really just two guys with typewriters and a guy with a microphone and that's it, you know? Well, I, I think it has to put you in kind of an interesting position to start in kind of what is almost this underground podcast playing a character that then mm -hmm. comes to bear your name. So you kind of have yes. this weird yeah. alter ego <laughs> doppelganger out there and yeah. now having all that with the fact that. For, for the first few episodes, I remember listening and going, okay, so is the character's name Cecil Baldwin? Or is mm -hmm. his name Cecil Baldwin? And it spawned all this amazing... People have so much affection for the narrator Cecil. And everyone yeah. has an idea about him. How do you how do you make those decisions when you're reading that? Of how to um, become... Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I... Well, one, I know Joseph and Jeffrey very well. So I, I know their writing style. Like when I get a script and I think they kind of, they sort of swap off episodes where, you know, Joseph will mainly write an episode and then, you know, Jeffrey will mainly write another episode, but then they'll kind of like trade jokes or trade <laughs> um, segments back and forth. But I can, you know, I can see it on the paper and go, oh, Jeffrey Craner definitely wrote this. <laughs> and I can hear his voice in my head. And, uh, you know, because I perform with him on the weekends mm -hmm. and I know his sense of humor, which is very dry and, you know, very, like, very sharp. Um, and I think the success of Cecil, the narrator or, you know, the character is that he's very honest and he's very sincere. Um, I know we've talked, you know, the three of us have talked a lot about, you know, why do people respond so much to this? And there's a lot of different reasons, but ultimately why I think why people respond to the character Cecil is that there really is not a huge difference between me and him. Um, I mean, yes, we have the same name, which was a shock to me as well. Um, when I first <laughs> When I first read that, 
Um, I was, I, in my mind, you know, I don't think you hear his name until like episode three or four or something like that. Um, and -hmm. in my mind, it was just always the narrator, you know, oh, this is just some creepy faceless voice of Night Vale that you just happen to get. But then as the podcast started, you know, we started looking at doing this more long term, it became obvious that people were responding very, very um, sincerely to the character because he's such an, he's such a nice guy, you know, he's, he's very honest and sincere. And there's a lot of media out now that is like, everything is about facade and, you know, a lot of it's about, Oh, well, this is my Facebook me and this is my Twitter me and this is my Vine me. And, you know, and this is what I present to the world but the person who you are could be someone totally different. But I think there's a, underneath all that, there's a need for all of us to sort of communicate on a personal level. And having this podcast where you have this crazy narrator who works for a radio station and yet gets on air and talks about his latest crush and, you know, um, people who he hates, like Steve Carlberg. Um, (laughs) Like, he's just so, he's just so honest. And he's the kind of guy who, you know, if you lived in a small town, he knows everybody's name. He, you know, like, is, you know, going to the PTA meetings because he, you know, like he knows all the kids in the neighborhood and he wants them to do well. And he's <laughs> reporting on the local high school football team. And, you know, he, he knows everybody. And, you know, if you grow up in a small town, you kind of know everybody's business, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and it's just an extension of that. And well, I think people really like it because um, he's just, he's just a very personable person. And um, he doesn't hide anything or he doesn't, you know, he's not snarky. He's not, uh, you know, like witty or anything like that. I mean, it it really makes him more relatable and more likable, ultimately. That's one thing that uh, Rachel and I were talking about earlier was the fact that he Nightville has like a positivity to it, which you wouldn't think was Mm -hmm. there, but it is. And it typically comes from Cecil. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when he's with his, you know, like I was, I, I told her my favorite episode was the second, um, glow, uh, the second um, sandstorm episode because yes. you yeah, just yeah. wanted to hug Cecil when he was <laughs> in that hellish place, and he sounded so scared, and and you got that vibe. He's a little innocent, even though he's yeah. surrounded I by think this. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Like, there is an innocence about him, and which, you know, is interesting. Like, which would you rather hear about? Would you rather hear about, you know, a main character that is just too cool for school, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, everything's like, oh, there's a floating cat in the bathroom, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> or would you rather hear about someone who's like, oh my gosh, you have to see this photograph. There's a cat in the bathroom, and I love it. And I've named it, and it's my new favorite thing. You know, it's just, it's so much more excitable and I really, and I hope that people respond to that really, uh, really sincerely. Cecil's a fan. How many times can I say, how many times can I say sincere? Can I say it like 10 more (laughs) times in this interview? (laughs) 
but it's all true. You're sincere in your sincerity. (laughs) You know, and he's a fangirl. And I love the fact that um, the Carlos subplot, and I thought this was kind of wonderfully subversive, although it shouldn't be a subversive but it kind of is as far as media is concerned they when you first hear cecil so excited about carlos you're going oh sweetie like calm yourself i know and then when it turns out that carlos spoiler alert likes him back i was just i was so happy i was dancing around (laughs) and you wanted that and i'm like that is wonderful there was no you know it wasn't the humor is not off of the awkwardness or the horribleness. It's off of how ridiculously sweet it is. <laughs> like it's hilarious, but it's right. Of course, of course. Touching. And everybody knows these people, you know, the person <laughs> who's like, Oh my gosh, there's the cutest person, you know, at school or at work. And he's absolutely <laughs> perfect. And everything about him is perfect. <laughs> and you know, you, you want to root for them to get together. And it's, you know, it's nice when, you know, what is the, what the phrase, a one true pairing, when it actually does happen, you know? Um, yeah, no, I, I think Carlos is like, it, it's, I, I believe he was introduced in the very first episode as, as this kind of outsider, you know, he's the guy who comes to Night Vale and just doesn't get it. You know, like everything mystifies him and, and makes him a little bit angry sometimes because he's a scientist and nothing makes sense. And why is, why, why are all these things crazy here? Um, And it's just so great that, you know, over the course of a year, you know, we've been able to, and again, this goes back to, we kind of set the pace for this podcast. Like, we don't have sponsors except for our fans. You know, we, you know, we make art that we love and we're going to do it in our own time. So we can take a storyline and we can stretch it out over a year, you know, which I, I shudder to think what would happen if Hollywood ever got involved and to be like, yeah. okay, <laughs> so in the first 15 minutes, we need, you know, to establish a plan, we need to establish a love interest. And then at the end of the hour, everything is okay again, um, which is just, you know, okay, been there, done that. I think we've all seen that. And so it's nice that we can kind of set the pace for these things and, you know, let relationships happen a little more organically. Well, and I think part of the appeal, too, is the fact that, like you said, it is sponsored by fans, and the fans have so embraced this. I don't know if you have seen oh, some yeah. of the fan art out there. <laughs> I have seen all the fan art. <laughs> yes! Uh-oh. <laughs> well, setting <laughs> Tumblr to private. I, and... I, I say that now, but now, of course, I'm going to get myself in trouble. No, because what do I do at 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm bored? I Google myself. <laughs> just for fun yes so so the so the people out there must know that you know and appreciate your fandom that's great yes absolutely and it's one of those that this is you know this is the, the experience of this level of success is relatively new to me and to joseph and to jeffrey and it's so exciting um uh, a friend of mine, we were out for having drinks and we were talking about Night Vale and about the fandom. And my friend was like, you know, the great thing about Night Vale is that its fans are nerds. And the great <laughs> thing about nerds Proudly. is that nerds, they love with all their heart. <laughs> they, If they love something, they, capital L-O-V-E, love it. Um, and... You know, ultimately, I, I know for me, I'm a fan of Night Vale. 
And so it makes me so happy to see someone who lives on the other side of the world, you know, draw a picture or create a collage or, you know, make a cartoon or be inspired by something that I do. And it inspires them to make their own art. Like, and that just, oh my gosh, it just makes me jump up and down and laugh because it's, it's great. You know, it's so great. Um, but yes, I'm a nerd at heart. And so <laughs> yeah. I get all giggly and, and you know, fanboy over uh, getting to see how other people are inspired by this as well. Well, I was going to, um, one thing I wanted to ask you was what, what sort of um, inspiration do you bring to this? Like, did you go out and read H.P. Lovecraft? Did you go out and find um, mm-hmm. some of this, some material to like help get you in the mood for this when you record? Um, well, I, let's see, I've read some H.P. Lovecraft stories, um, not a lot of them. Like, I think I've read kind of the big ones, but, you know, I'm not like a scholar or anything like that. Um, I mean, Stephen King was literally, I think, the first adult book. I think It by Stephen King was the first Hmm. adult book I ever read when I was, you know, when I was younger. Um, and I am a diehard, tried-and-true David Lynch fan. Yes! Um, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so as soon as my friends pitched to me a story that was like, okay, you know, what Twin Peaks is for the Pacific Northwest, Night Vale is going to be for the Desert Southwest. And I was like, yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. You know, this is a universe where... Crazy things can happen, but ultimately, you don't tune in for the crazy things. You tune in for the people who are just living their everyday lives, you know. Um, But I think those are the big three influences for me personally. Lovecraft, certainly. um, There's a lot of Lovecraft elements of, like, unspeakable horrors. Um, There's a lot left unsaid about Night Vale, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, in that you never quite can get your footing on what's happening or who people, who things are, you know, they're shapeless forms and things like that. And the answers are not necessarily, again, kind of wrapped up with a neat bow on top and mass marketed and produced and sent out into the world. Um, Stephen King, definitely. I think Stephen King does, has been doing, the gothic American horror story so well for so many years. Um, and again, it's, he writes these scary, creepy stories that ultimately the most compelling part are the people in them and watching these people struggle with their lives and their experiences, especially in the face of, you know, giant St. Bernard dogs and, you know, um, <laughs> killer clowns from under the uh, sewers and things like that. Um, we all float down here. Fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but for me, like there's definitely a David Lynch feel. Um, it's very soothing. It's very um, normal on the outside. But then as soon as you scratch the surface, all the weirdness just comes flowing out, you know, <laughs> Um, which is, I mean, that like David, that's practically, I mean, that's what he does. That's what he does so well in, you know, all of his films. Um, the first but when time it comes I to actually, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say the first time I heard Night Vale, I, I pictured Cecil as kind of Kyle McLaughlin from Twin yes. Peaks sitting there with the coffee yes. and the cherry pie telling why everything's mm-hmm. so marvelous when everyone's <laughs> miserable around him. And he's like, yeah, this is a damn am- fine cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've always seen, like, I've always made that connection between Cecil and, and Agent Dale Cooper mm-hmm. because he has that calmness and God bless Kyle McLaughlin, like that character is so iconic Mm -hmm. because Kyle McLaughlin is sincere and likable and honest and he's a boy scout and he solves crimes. And, you know, maybe the way he solves crimes is a little unorthodox in, you know, (laughs) throwing rocks at bottles when, you know, uh, you know, one of the other, you know, pieces like reading names from a hat and that's a little unusual, but he's ultimately very capable and responsible, and, and and I like to think that I put as much of that into Night Vale as possible. So thank you, Kyle McLaughlin, for inspiring me to do this. Um, well, and part of one thing I get from this too is it's kind of like Night Vale is the baby of Cronenberg and 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 David Lynch. I, I really oh, get absolutely. that 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 vibe because yeah. there's such a level of of bio biological horror and some of the things that go mm-hmm. on in Night Vale. And it always reminds yeah. me of, of the horrible things that go on in a David Lynch <laughs> or not a David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. David Cronenberg is amazing. And he like talk about someone who's had, who has their own unique style of filmmaking and can do any kind of genre, but you always kind of know it's a, it's a Cronenberg film underneath it all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, people like, like the, uh, the, the sort of Michael Fandero storyline of, you know, here's this kid who grew a second head and then he had his head removed and then he gained superhuman powers and then, you you know, his his second head only speaks Russian and you don't know why and you don't care why. You just go, you just kind of go along with it. And that's a lot of what you get with a Cronenberg film is that you're like, I have no idea, you know, what is going on. But by the end, you walk away from one of his films thinking, I don't know why exactly this happened, but (laughs) it made sense in the world of the film. Like it seemed Mm -hmm. logical once you set up the parameters inside the movie, you know. And I am um, very disturbed yeah. by what I just saw. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I am very disturbed. <laughs> yes, yes. Slug, Entertained and terrified. from possibly outer space that caused people to go on a sexual rampage? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, Cecil, I, I think we've, uh, we're, we're getting ready to run out of time with you here, but I wanted to give oh, you an no. opportunity. Well, you can stay around if you if you want to stay around. Uh, we will be happy to adopt you as our own. That's that's completely yes. fine. Okay, good. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah, to keep him. Well, if that's the case, I I actually wanted to ask you, um, kind of leading into, I know what you're doing this weekend, um, or this you're yeah. in San Francisco for, which is the play, um, that you're doing mm-hmm. with the neo futurists, and I was wanting yeah. to hear more about them. If it what how. How did you get involved with them, and and um, what all does that entail? If you can give us sort of a an explanation of it, because you said it was sort of unexplainable. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Well, <laughs> I, uh, I, went, I went to college in Illinois, and I would, me and my friends would road trip up to Chicago and see the near futurists do too much light makes the baby go blind on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I was in New York, you know, struggling and trying to make it as an actor. And um, I found out through a friend that there was a New York company, and I had never really written anything. And the thing about the neo-futurists is that they write, act, and direct all of their own work. Um, in the, uh, their, their, their main show is called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, and it's 30 short plays in 60 minutes. So wow. it's 32-minute <laughs> plays done in rapid succession. And we literally we hang a clock on the wall, and we say, when we hit, when we hit this, we're going to go. And when the buzzer goes off, we're going to stop. Whether you've seen all 30 plays or 28 plays or in some horrible happenstance, five plays. Um, <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> yeah. But, and all, but here's the trick is that all of the plays are autobiographical. They're all about the performers as people. Um, we don't play characters. Uh, we don't pretend like we're anywhere else except where we are at that moment. Um, so, you know, I can't do a monologue about the time when I was five and my dog died and it was the most important moment of my life because I never owned a dog and that would be false. Um, so it's very immediate and very truthful. Uh, so what I'm doing out in San Francisco um, I, uh, a group of neo-futurists have intrepidly are starting a theater company out here to do Yay. exactly this. They're going to, they're doing a three week run of too much light. Um, and they're having workshops to teach people how to write, you know, in this aesthetic where you're always yourself and you're, you know, doing what you're doing and they're having auditions to build a new company. And I am lending my my uh, self to perform with them to sort of, you know, so I'm out in San Francisco and we're, you know, going to all the plays we can see. And last night we went to, um, you know, like a writer, kind of like a slam, like a writer slam open mic. And we're meeting people and just trying to, you know, just trying to like get San Francisco excited about the possibility of um, the near future is coming out here. Um, oh, that's amazing. And of course, yeah, and it's going to be great. So uh, let's see, we're going to be at the Boxcar Theater um, at 505 Natoma Street. And we're running um, this weekend and next weekend. Uh, it's Friday and Saturday night at 9 p.m. and Sunday night at 7 p.m. Um, and you can go to sfneofuturists.com to get more info. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we're having a blast out here. Um, everyone has been so friendly and San Francisco is the most beautiful town. Uh, so much fun. And next week, we're also going to be doing a live reading of Welcome to Night Vale scripts. Um, and I believe that's at the, uh, Booksmith. I believe all the tickets are sold out for that. Unfortunately, um, we, we seem to, uh, we, we seem to have fallen into this habit of putting stuff online and then it sells out within a minute. Oh, that's a horrible problem. Horrible problem. I know. God, I know. Um, which, you know, of course makes me get up and do a happy dance and spin around my room. 
um, <laughs> because it means that people actually are coming to to see us and to meet us, and um, you know, I get to meet my fans, which are so nice and so friendly. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be an action-packed two weeks here in San Francisco. That is it's awesome. It's a great opportunity for those of us on the West Coast to be able to see mm-hmm. some new futurists, to see some Night Vale. Yeah. So we will get the link up on the website and the Facebook page yes. to sfnewfuturist.com yeah. and um, make sure that you're checking out the, the um, Commonplace Books site as well. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the great things about doing a, a late night show is that oftentimes we go out for drinks afterwards. And, you know, um, I like we're all very approachable. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're hanging out in downtown San Francisco and you want to come have a drink, just uh, come see the show. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'll get to meet you afterwards. That is awesome. And we need to get you to Eugene, Oregon. I was like, we're going to be driving all night. Oh, I love Eugene. Oh, oh man, that sounds so nice. That, that's where we're at. That's where we're based, actually. Oh, I didn't know you that. Visit I didn't us, know we'll buy you drinks. One of my best friends is from Eugene. Yeah, Aww. he loves it out there. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. Cecil, I, I want to thank you for joining us on the show, but I have one request. Okay. <laughs> and and I, 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 I have to do this because if I don't, I think Rachel will come over to my house and beat me up, and so will everyone else. Um. <clears throat> I was hoping you could uh, end the episode for us with a, a little paraphrasing of your um, your sign off from Welcome to Night Vale. If you sure. could, if you could tell the fangirls good night. I will. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> good night, fangirl radio. Good night. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cecil Baldwin, everybody. Say good night. Oh, thank you for having me on. All right. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Thank you again. Welcome to Night Vale. Good night, Fangirl Radio. Good night.